Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. It's breakfast somewhere, so eat up. Welcome to Breakfast with Vinny. Food for thought. Okay, I right, take it easy, take it easy. Okay, settle down, settle down. Man, they love us. They love us already. So today's uh, very special. Uh, my guest today is um, a fellow drummer. Uh, man, this is great. And, you know, I came to recently find this out, and this is wonderful to find another fellow drummer. But he is a nutrition, health, wellness, and personal growth expert and advocate and uh, very, very knowledgeable in what he does. And um, he has his own website where you can get a lot of amazing information as well as great products. And we are pleased to welcome today David Avocado Wolf. David, Right welcome. on, Vinny. Good yeah. to see you. Good to see you. Welcome to Breakfast with Vinny. So, yeah, today's the best day ever, right? Today's the best day ever. <laughs> I, was just, I was just talking with my crew and yeah. – we were kind of slugging through all you know the business stuff, and yeah. I was like, I got to get my head on straight. I got I'm talking to Vinny here, but I, all of a sudden <laughs> at the end of the call, everything kind of flowed and gelled. Now I'm right that see that's the power of the today is the best day ever. You keep saying that to yourself, pretty much you talk yourself into it, then then you talk and then you talk the forces of nature start conspiring with you to make it happen. Next thing you know, you actually are having the best day ever. Excellent, man. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. Like like the whole thing of if you smile and if you force yourself to smile, you will release those things that your body gives you from having the benefit of smiling, right? So well said. Yeah. It's just yeah. Physiology, biology, belief, manifestation. That's just great. I mean, really, when we talk about praying, in in a sense, you know, if if I mean, and there's a lot of um you know, I'm sure there's a lot of religious undertones here, but but just we're going to leave that out of it. But 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 there is a, uh, a I think uh, what they would call petitionary prayer, right? So so if you're talking about that, you want something to happen, right? And so so you know, people who have a particular religious bent might be be saying or be said to be petitioning God, like, hey, you know, I'm I'm putting this prayer out there. And, you know, skeptics will come back and say, well, see, he, she, or it didn't answer you. And it's sort of like, you know what? He, she, or it is not something, is not your, your bond servant or your plaything. He, she, or it, you know, understands what's best for you. And really, what is your true intent? Your true intent will or will not bring that out. And, and I think, I mean, this is just me talking now, but but the idea of, of petitionary prayer to me is sort of, you know, has its analog in intent, intent and putting something out to the universe and making it happen. Is it, am I making sense on that? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So in one way we say it is prayer. Another way is intention. Mm -hmm. Another way is goal setting, writing goals down. I, I do all of the above. Um, you remind me though, the way you said that, I was thinking of that old Jim Morrison song where he says, Petition the Lord with prayer. <laughs> in one of the beginnings of one of those songs, and um, and that's always stuck with me, right? It's it's a good way of saying. It. And that actually came out of my mouth recently. A friend of mine, she's very she's very Christian. She's very you know she's into pr prayer, which is cool. And and I was like, and so I brought up. You remember that Jim Morrison song? Petition the Lord with prayer. <laughs> she was like, oh, she didn't she didn't know she didn't know it. Yeah, right, right, right. I know, I know, man. It's like. 
you know, for me, it's like because of my age, it's like, yeah, I'm a boomer. Okay, yeah, I'm good with that. So, you know, if people say, okay, boomer, I'm like, yep, got that right. Yeah, that'll be me. You know, it's it's like I, I relate to all that that music from that era, obviously, very, very strongly. And I've seen a lot of those people. There were some that escaped me. Like, I never, unfortunately, I never got to see Hendrix. Boo. Ooh. Uh, yeah, and big boo. I know. And I never saw the Beatles, another boo. Um, never saw Coltrane on the jazz side. Boo. So there were some that got away. I did see Miles. I saw Led Zeppelin. I saw Traffic, Procol Harum, you know, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Yes, all those bands when they were coming out, they were all new. Tower of Power, everybody, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, music, it was kind of like, you know, a gilded age of music. And I, and I will dare to be opinionated right now. I mean, I kind of live... You know, and you, you could say, well, it's because you're a boomer. You know, I don't care. I, you know, I live in a sort of musical time warp, really, somewhere between like 1963 and 1978. You know, <laughs> I'm in that range, you know, and it, and it overlaps a little bit. You know, it goes, yeah, sure, 80s, 90s, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. And, and, um, and even now, things now, but the problem is, is that there's so much out there that, you know, ever since the, you know, quote, democratization of music, it's like like finding stuff is like like a needle in a haystack, you know what I mean? To me, it is. Whereas before it was... I, I go for the old records. That's why that's how I'm finding really clever stuff. You know, I'll go back and I'll pick up, like, mm -hmm. you know, Buddy Rich's Nutville or something, you know, something, oh. and just, there's something on there that I, that I missed, or that's how I'm finding the needles. I don't know about you, but I'm going back and just, did I, I didn't really catch all this when I first heard it, or... And then I find stuff. I'm like, my God, this look, listen to this song. Yeah. It's epic. Oh, well, you know what? I mean, I haven't gone back and done that, but but when I did, when new records came out, I would listen to them repeatedly and I would I would find myself like maybe on the eighth listen of a Steely Dan song, I'd go, Really? Oh, okay, I get it. I didn't get that before. So, you know, I think that those things were it was really important to document music then, to stand up to repeated listening. Because you had this sense that you were going to document something forever. It wasn't going to be as ephemeral and passing as things can be now. You know, so, so it was a different sensibility, you know. I mean, you know, going into a studio was this rarefied air and... And yeah, you know, the whole bit. I mean, even back in the early 60s, they went in with white lab coats. You know, it was crazy. Like you see these crazy. pictures. Yeah. You know, it was like they're going into the laboratory now, you know. <laughs> so, but but anyway, you know, I, I don't know where, where to, what to start with here. You know, whether I should start because it's so rich. There's so much, you know, you could give us um, that I don't know. Maybe we should just start with the drums, man. You know, let's, let's get into the drums. You, you can see my kit all stripped down to that, you know, that basic 50s with like, you know, one Tom floor, Tom snare, cowbell. Great. One crash, riding, riding uh, hi hat, beautiful, and, uh, right? And that's all you need, right? As long as I yep. can, as long as I can do my feet and my hands, and yep. even sing along, I, I'm working on that. I, I think over the years, you know, that becomes the fifth piece, right? You try to do the backing vocals, and and yeah. uh, it's it's just epic because it it immediately humbles you, right? Like I'm working on like it's a it's a five, it's in a five, yeah, and. and but but I'm dropping the it's a polyrhythm right so I'm dropping the the hi hat or the bass drum yeah. right you know in time um against a five and it's just it humbles me I'm just like okay I can play that but I can't dance around that 
I need right. to know it better in order to dance around it so I can put the, the bass drum over here, move the hi-hat around or, you know, do it some other, something weird underneath it. Like, you know, do some kind of a paradiddle thing underneath the five or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well said, Love man. Bullying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that if we look at what happens, you know, as we amass knowledge and integrate it, um, you know, because it's a real physical thing, you, you know, that that we, we could see these sort of concentric circles or, or no, no, more like a Venn diagram happening whereby we've learned this thing that we've learned rhythmic elements. Now we're going to combine the sticking with and we're, now we're now we're getting real comfortable with it where we don't have to think about it anymore. And then another sort of uh, epiphany will happen where we go, oh, wait, but if I do this and change the sticking, then I can orchestrate it different. Wow. This puts a whole new slant on it. And now that's another thing that overlaps into the Venn diagram. And now we're not quite comfortable with that yet, but we're really comfortable with the rhythmic part. So, you know, our learning process kind of overlaps like that. And, you know, I think there, there's no real punchline for me with what I'm saying, but, but I think that, that, you know, it's, it's like you never really arrive and should you ever, or do you ever, I don't, I don't think we really do. Like, I always like to wake up thinking, Hey, I got something to look forward to today. If I, if I didn't have that, man, I don't know, you know, I don't know what I would do, you know? It, you, you're right on it. And see, that's the beauty of a musical instrument is you never actually arrive. There's yeah. always like, I need to work on this. And, oh, I, I haven't got, like, I can play that, but I can't get that into a song that I'm playing live with somebody yet. Right. Or, or whatever, you know, there's just always something you're pushing into that is, is a, as another challenge. And I think that's particularly true of the drums because you have such an engagement of all your limbs. Right. And so you want to get that independence. You want to get that precision. You know, there's just so many little pieces of it and I'm just constantly inspired, but I'm also constantly humbled. And I think that's a very good place to start is just the humbling nature of it all. And, and, and I do believe I personally, I play the drums. I'm a believer in reincarnation, Vinny. You know, I, that's my, that's my scientific conclusion from reading all the books on the subject, which is voluminous. The scientific research on reincarnation by Ian Steven, Max Tucker, um, Dr. Brian Weiss, Rudolf Steiner stuff. It, it, it's, I mean, the, the science point, if you were going to be not scientism, scientism is some kind of fake religion, kind of a thing that's mm -hmm. like trying to hijack the scientific method. But if we're actually going to be scientific and look at the evidence, honestly, with innocent perception, the evidence is there for reincarnation. So a lot of what I do, you know, people ask me like, well, you know, you know, at your age, what are you going to do? You're going to be becoming some famous drummer. I'm like, nope, it's strictly it's a self-disciplined thing and it's an expansive thing and it's a humbling thing. But a lot of it and a lot of what I say to them is like, this is for my next lifetime. In my next lifetime, I'm going to be the best drummer in the world. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know what? Why? Why not, man? I mean, why not? Yeah, like, like, who cares? You just do it because you love to do it right now, and what, wherever that goes, it's going to go, man. And it's not for anybody else to say. So, poop. Well said. That's it. Yeah, you know. I mean, really, at the end of the day, that's why we do it. And if we didn't have that, I don't know how long we'd be able to to sustain it. Um, you know, trying to make a living at it, you know, while we're just faking it and faking ourselves out. So let me ask you, when did you start playing the drums and uh, like what, what drew you to the drums and, and what, what, what do they mean to you? Okay. So I started out um, when I was about 16 years old, I was like, I really need to get a drum set because I really like it. I like the, I like the concept of the drums. I was listening to a lot of 
Neil Peart and a lot of the heavy metal of that time, which was like Queensryche. And, you know, they had a really interesting um, drummer, Scott Rockenfield, who had a great, he had a great interesting syncopated bass drum thing. So we were always into that. But I didn't actually pull the trigger on it until the next year. So I went to University of San- UC Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and I, I was like, I'm getting a drum. I, the guy across the hall from me had a drum set. And oh. so I was like, dude, you got to show me something. Like, show me some of the basics. So he showed me the basic stuff. Yeah. And that's what got me going. And then I got my own drum set. And so I started late. I was like 18. Wow. Okay, cool, man. You know what? So what, man? That's, I know a lot of people that um, are, you know, and and, and some that are actually professional drummers um, or, or that became really accomplished drummers that it was astonishing to find out how late they started. It's like, and, and, you know, for that matter, I worked with a, with a, um, with a Latin American artist who was a great singer and you know at one, one once and this may seem tangential but it really isn't once we were in a studio doing a record in miami and he, he had uh this screensaver that kept changing every few seconds with these beautiful paintings right and i said those are beautiful you know who, where did you get those or who did them he said i did and i said huh since when did you become an artist he's you know he he said just recently like maybe a couple of years ago, you know, or a year ago. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And he said, no, I just started painting. Now we're talking about a guy who's like, I don't know. At that time he could have been like 45 or something, you know? Yeah. I mean like well into adulthood, he just started painting. It's, you know what I've been telling people, Vinny, especially through the whole pandemic crap and all that stuff that we went through and they're trying to bring it back again, by the way, you know, because they, they need to cheat on their elections <sighs> and all that other stuff. You know, yeah. I don't know where everybody stands and all that stuff. I, I, you know, I personally think that we need to have actually like fair and real, like call it a that night kind of elections and everything is paper ballots. So there can be no cheating. I so agree. I agree with that. Take on it. Yeah. And so this absentee ballot thing, I think that's why they're going to be kind of ginning the whole thing up again. All the fear yeah. porn and everything else It's going to mm-hmm. be, it's going to be wild. It's going to be very, very crazy. And I, you know, I, I feel very, very concerned for the future of our country. But at any rate, one of the yeah. people I became very close to in, in the whole thing was mm. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Oh, she's great. Yeah. And, and, awesome. and you and, know, people were going to poo-poo her, but now nah, she knows what's going on. She's a sweetheart. She, yeah. and we did many shows together. And she told me something interesting, Vinny, about music is that she was a piano virtuoso. I don't know if you know this about her. I had no idea. She went to, she went to university to play piano. And then after university, she became a doctor and went did that whole thing for, for, I think, for 20 years. And then during the whole pandemic, she picked up the piano again after she hadn't played in 25 years or something crazy like that. It was at least 20 years. And she got back into it. Now she plays yeah. every day. And I was like, this is so cool. I was so, I mean, I get chills, you know, talking about it. I yeah. was like, wow, so cool. Absolutely, yeah. man. That That's, I had no idea that she was, but. But I agree with you on that. I think that you know we got to take the country back, and we we don't we have to be careful not not to because otherwise the conversation will go there, and it will it'll be off and running. Because I will go there with you, you know. Because I really think that regardless of what your political affiliation is, the idea that we have to have secure elections is is you know undeniable. And it's really, undeniable. we have to do it in the safest way possible that can't be obscured. So. That's it. Case closed, man. Case and, closed. And, and, and we're going to have this form of government that we you know the founding yeah. fathers set up for us here in America. Yeah. Then this is the system that we were born into. And this yeah. is the system 
that we must sustain because people are all always, you know, complaining about the current system and it is massively flawed. There's massive problems, mm. massive troubles. But my God, if we go into another system, it's going to be worse. Yeah. And that's the that a lot of people don't get is it, it doesn't, if we collapse into another system, it'll be worse. And yeah. we don't want that. No, no, because history bears that out as well. So regardless of, you kind of can't argue with that really. It's those other systems have not played out according to their purported promise, you know, and the great American experiment is this is the last chance Texaco right here, pal. This is it. You this know? is it. Yeah. This is it. This and, is and just, you know, the, like, look at your life and the amazing things you were do, you were yeah. able to do in your life and the amazing things I was able to do in my life yeah. had a lot to do with the system of government that had been set up for us. Again, deeply flawed, but still better than what they're trying to push us into. And sure, we can, we, you know, the first thing we've got to you know, work on improving the system that we're currently in, but this idea of wanting to collapse the system or, you know, seriously overburden the system until it breaks yeah. is, it's not a good one. No, it isn't. Well said, David. You know, it reminds me that that this will to sort of overlap and overlay this the whole COVID concept onto it. I remember, uh, you know, back in in like the summer, early summer of 2020, maybe not even like June, July, or something. I'd heard about the Great Reset, this book that was written. So I I bought it straight away. It arrived a few days later. So me and a friend of mine from India were reading it together, and I swear I had to put that book down about 30 times. It was the hardest book for me to finish because I would made my blood boil. And I, interestingly enough, I then recommended it to another friend who said, well, that sounds really good. And I thought, okay, so depending on your worldview, you, it's going to affect what you think about it. But the point is, is that it was saying that, you know, because of this pandemic now, we now have for the first time a small window to do a great reset. And I'm thinking, what do you, who are you? Who elected you? I didn't elect you. Who are you telling the world this? Who gave you the authority to tell us this baloney? And, and I'm thinking, this is Trojan horse stuff. Sorry, it just is. Doesn't mean that, you know, this plight that, you know, went all over the globe didn't happen it just means that you can use this stuff like oh it's there's too many people overpopulation and you know the, your carbon footprint all this it's really easy to use that stuff as trojan horses but i'm thinking wait a minute you're talking about the great reset i'm old enough to remember not so maybe a couple of decades ago the big thing was the butterfly effect whatever happened to that you know, why, right. do we, why, why do we have to do this great reset? How about the butterfly effect? One small change can affect. Yeah. Okay. There's your, I got your reset for you right there, pal. You know, I mean, you're, you're, oh, nice. Oh, I liked your little, your little sound effect there. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're tapping into the collective versus individual liberty. And, and actually, you know, David Icke had this great phrase that he used for years, which was called an oppo saying. So like you go too far down, let's say right wing directions, you're going to end up in the same direction as if you went too far in the left wing direction and you end up in collectivism or, or communism or socialism, where it's basically top down control. We're going to tell you what to do. You have to sacrifice for the greater good of everybody else instead of the opposite mm -hmm. of that, which the real opposite of both those, which is individual liberty. 
right. and supporting yeah. the individual and development. Now, you'll see that a big part of what's going on with the Great Reset talk and the, and the overpopulation talk, which, by the way, I absolutely am convinced there's no overpopulation. I think the whole thing's a scam. I've traveled the world my entire life. I, I'm one of the most well-traveled people in the world. I traveled the world for 26 years straight. Amazing. And that's why I get along with people like you so well, because you're a professional musician. You've traveled like I have. A so lot. You've, you've been out there, right? And, and you know what it's like every day. Boom, we gotta, I got to show at 6 o'clock. I got to, you know, I'm, I'm out of there at 11 or, yeah. or midnight. I got to be on a plane the next morning at 9 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. And traveling all over the world, this earth is not overpopulated. It's it That's a scam, actually. But the point I wanted to get is they're trying to develop it within the human mind. And you see this in even great people like Jane Goodall will come. Oh, it's overpopulated. We have too many people. And all this stuff is really a cover story for collectivism or removing individual liberties and sacrificing them for the greater good, which never works. It's never worked in history. And it's led to totalitarianism and authoritarianism. And that's just something that we have to educate people on because, you know, the way that we, that we have this system where people are like, oh, no, no, the individual, no, we can't, the individual needs to sacrifice for, yeah. you know, the greater good of the whole. This stuff has been well worked out and well developed in political theory. And mm -hmm. we know what it is. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it's a mask or a cover story for totalitarianism. Yeah, but that's very true. That's exactly what it is. And there's, I don't think that individualism strikes a blow at 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 caring for the greater good of society. It, it's that whole schism. I think is psychologically manufactured. Sorry, I but but I agree with you. Yeah, you know. So and and yeah, we're we're both very well traveled. I mean, man, I I, I remember when I first you know went to Europe. I, I ran up against the Berlin Wall to touch it and the guys in the bus were saying get away from there fast you know you're gonna get shot and you know i didn't know any different but i just remember seeing that i remember the old soviet union all that stuff i remember before the euro changing money in every country and you know there is a benefit to having witnessed all that because i remember traveling around and randomly asking people after the euro was instilled right i said what do you think about all this and they're like I was horrible better before, you know, you know, it was these people were all saying, and I just thought, okay, well, yeah, that's, I got that sort of agreement from people in 10 different countries already. And not that I was looking for it. I just wanted to find out what people thought, but yeah, it's crazy, man. And, but anyway, <laughs> we're getting away from the drums now. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, what we do about it, I think, is we just encourage people to become individually better, to, you know, to yeah. support their own development. There is a very strong anti-human element in all this stuff, like the Great Reset. Yeah. Like, it's very anti-human. Humans are the problems. Humans are screwing everything up. And well, it's transhumanism. Right. And so then we have to, well, we can't, the human screwed up, so we have to now fix the human. All that stuff is just a complete it's a program and it's it's yeah. very debatable and needs to be looked at very closely but I, I suspect that it's actually all phony that there's nothing wrong with any human we need to support individual education and, and support individual liberty yeah and Amen. the best way to do that actually one of the best tools in the arsenal is music amen it sure is isn't it and 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 for various reasons it's it's this is really rich david i mean i got a feeling this could go on for a long time because for example 
Well, you're just talking about the rhythm, the power of rhythm, and then of melody, where people with Alzheimer's can can remember their favorite songs, even if they can't tell you who they are and recognize you. And so, you know, it tells you the power of drilling that stuff into someone's brain, you know, using the power of rhythm and the power of melody and 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 then words, what you say, language. So when you when you propel that language into someone's mind with those those powerful elements, you have something very formidable and you had better wield it responsibly. But guess what? It's being wielded irresponsibly now because it's been usurped and people are I mean it's it's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. Pretty dark. It, yeah, it's that's a good word for it. It's very dark. It's it's very um it it doesn't have that brightness, you know, when you came up in the music industry, there was a brightness, there was a light there, you know, the yeah. Hendrixes of the world, the yeah. of the world, the Led Zeppelins of the world, there was a, a new energy, a brightness, you know, that you know, Zappa's whole thing was just let's let's take the whole thing and shuffle it and redo it. Yeah. You know, satire. It was cool. Yeah, it's satire and all the comedy and all that, yeah, all of it. And, and you know, like I would see people, you know, this is after the horrific things like Kent State happened and the Vietnam War was raging and all this kind of stuff, you know, uh, the aftermath of civil rights and riots and this, that, and the other thing. And you'd see people just washing their car, you know, whistling to Smokey Robinson, or you'd see veterans, you know, listening to, to Hendrix on the helicopter. It was like, you know, those there were protest songs, but there was still some kind of hope. It was like the collective consciousness was not destroyed by, you know, these various uppercuts, like, you know, the Kennedy assassination was probably the first uppercut, you know, and then the freaking right hook was 9-11, you know, and then, and then it was like, ding, ding, ding. We got up before the bell, you know, but then wait, we're not done. COVID, you know what I'm saying? It just, it's, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I said it's it. A, there, it's a I full said on it. attack. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, and, and it's like it's just everything is weaponized. And, you know, obviously yeah. this this war that's going on now is another major, major red flag. And, you know, just <laughs> I was watching one night I was watching the guy on CNN is like, can you believe that I was he was saying like something about like Trump doesn't believe this, that, you know, that, you know, Ukraine should win this war. And it's like, dude, are you guys crazy? Nobody wins any war. Nobody no. wins any war. No. This, this whole idea that we're going to win some war is just <laughs> an absolute, ins- it, that's insane right there. Yeah. Nobody wins. The people who win is the military industrial complex, the yep. bought and sold politicians, yeah. and, and the people you know, who are going to get power. Those yeah. are the people, not you. No, absolutely not, man. You're so true, man. No, it's just, it's, it's just the language just cracks me up. It's unbelievable, man. So, um, woo boy, this is really rich, man. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting into it. We're getting this into it, yeah, and, and you know, I, I I will follow you because I can't help myself. I'm, <laughs> I'm the same. So, but it's true, and and I think that that awareness is really important. It has to be said, and it has to be said because I think that that awareness of this really shows that. Look, no, don't don't tell me that these concepts or the awareness of these things that are actually happening, this this these phenomena are just, you know, some right wing, alt right wing, hard right, you know, ideological construct. They're not. Like, oh, it's, if you say this stuff, you're 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 some you're some terrorist. You're some, 
They're calling people domestic terror, people who don't agree with the narrative, any narrative. And it should be obvious by now. As soon as Elon Musk bought Twitter, why was it that within like a day or two, there was this bureau of misinformation that was, that was brought out by the government? I'm thinking, this is crazy making stuff. It's, it just is. It's like you, you couldn't write this. So I think that- I, I've been through that, you know, how long have you been on Twitter? You've probably been on there since as long as I have. I've been on there since 2008. No, I haven't been on that long, just a few years. And, and really, I've seen followers drop like flies because I started basically just my whole Twitter thing is just, I'll, I'll say, okay, here's my new podcast episode. And it's basically political stuff. And, and you'd be surprised- and, you know, I'll see people that want to follow me, but I know they're going to unfollow me right away because they're going to think that I'm some right-wing extremist. They just are. That's, that's how they're going, to, they're going to frame me because I disagree with, you know, everything that, you know. The government's narrative. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like. It's, it's ultimately, we know it's the government's narrative because the government went to Facebook and Twitter and to um, Instagram and to Google and said you are not to report these stories and this is misinformation and this is that means the government actually is controlling the information so that's some orwellian stuff right there whether you you know i personally this i don't think there's anybody who believes that this government that we have especially right now yeah. has anything to do with anything good i don't think there's anybody out there really believes any of that yeah i i <laughs> you, you might be right about that because but the, but, the, but the thing about it is is that even though trying to disseminate this awareness, the, the next thing is what do you do about it? Because we're faced with a, a conundrum of, listen, if they don't give a crap about us and they don't care how many of us go away in some sort of collateral damage or for whatever the reasons might be, then what do you do about that? Do you accept that it's fatalistic or do you just say, you know what, give me liberty or give me death, I'm going to go down fighting. I'd take the ladder because I'll take the ladder because I think that needs, to, and I'm not advocating for violence. What I'm saying is, is that how willing are you going to be to take a stand to say, I'm not complying. That's, that's what I'm saying. Just it's like the answer really has to be, we're going to do it our way because it's, we it's are, unite, we, it's united non-compliance. It's yeah. united non-compliance. It's exactly what it is. It, that's the only thing that will work it, if it's they want violence. Actually, the yeah. system that we're in, they want violence. They want riots. They want destruction. They yeah. want because then then they can increase their police state and increase the troubles. Mm -hmm. But United Noncompliance, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know what to do. No, exactly. And probably hoping that it won't happen. But there have been some rays of hope whereby um, I saw recently uh, there was a there was a news article that apparently in, in the U.K., it's gotten to the point where they can't adopt the WHO's sort of whimsical new laws, that things that they're trying to pass unless there's a referendum. In other words, the people have spoken, and so they're taking heed of that. So that's what needs to happen here. So as long as they can keep brainwashing enough people to just be compliant and think that everybody who is questioning it is nuts, then we're going to have a hard time because they're getting programmed through their emotions their fear fear factor. We're gonna die. Grandma's gonna die. You're gonna kill me and you're the enemy. So so what better way to do that with something that they're saying could be life threatening, even though at the same time the survival rate in the beginning was ninety nine point nine seven, 
and it that never that number never changed. So figure that one out. Want to talk about cognitive dissonance? Totally. Yeah, it's they're losing ground though, and so that you know, if mm-hmm. we were going to be honest, Vinny, you know, the the direction it's going is actually it's going our way. Because, Good. Because more and more people are going like, no, I'm not buying it. You know, more. I I've seen this because. I, I both I had friends who are super kind of left wing people. I have friends who are super right wing people yeah. and both sides are coming together in my world, actually. And at, it had gotten to a point where like some friends of mine from California, these are film people and, you know, they're in the Hollywood you know world. They but they're like, nope, we're going to support Trump. We're moving to Texas and that kind of a thing. And then all the left wing people in L.A. were like, yeah, we hate you and all that. Now, over the last few years, they've come together and, and repaired their friendships. Wow. Okay. That's very promising. Very it, promising. It sure is. We more of that, please. Encore. Encore. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. That's beautiful, man. And so we just have to keep uh keep on keeping on with this. And I, I just for me, you know, the time to remain silent is over. It's funny because I saw all this coming back, like I said, in the summer of twenty twenty, and I just didn't talk about it because I thought now, this is crazy. People are going to think I'm nuts. And I'm thinking, how long will it take for the media to pick up on this? And it took about a year before it steadily started. And then, then somebody talked about it. Now, it's all over the place. It's it's like an open, yeah. It's like the yep. floodgates have opened. Everything you see, people are onto it. And and that's a that's a good thing. So and, and, and many of them are saying, no, we're not having it. <laughs> we're not having this crap. So, yeah, bravo. Uh, I feel good. You know, I feel good about the future. There's going to be some ruptures for sure, because yeah. again, the corruption is, it's become, you know, it's gotten to the bones. You know, there's definitely places in, especially yeah. in America where the corruption has gotten to the bones. Yeah. In Europe, there's corruption to the bones, but yeah. people are the core of all civilization and the people are waking up. So that means there's a spiritual awakening happening yeah. People are open to other people's narratives. Yes. They're not so caught up in their own narrative or the television narrative or whatever. So, you know, from a greater, bigger perspective, this is kind of the, you know, the rough road we have to go through in order to awaken and to get humanity back oriented towards what's important, like having the best day ever and yeah. and playing music and yes. be, being in nature. And I will say this, Vinny, you know, out here in this jungle where we are in Hawaii, yeah. and we're tucked way back in the jungle. I'm not near the beach. I'm, you know, we're, we're in it. It's like, it's hardcore here. You know, people come here and they get annihilated by mosquitoes because the mosquitoes go fresh blood and they just come right for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, it's yeah. that kind of yeah. a situation. But what we love to do here is I, I'll work here all day on my computer and just with my team, you know, all, you know, they're all over the world. Yeah. And then I go out there in the yard and I'll, I'll spend two to four hours in nature, just, you know, with the fruit trees and stuff like that, doing all that kind of work. And then I come in here with the band. Sometimes they're just solo. And then we just, we hit the music into the night. And I'm telling you, these are the greatest natural highs going. It's the best thing going. It sure is, man. The endorphins and all. And you get the real dope. I mean, the real reward from having done that and generated it by doing something that's getting you into a flow state. You know, that's what that's what drumming is. I mean, you know, I've got this this little mantra, you know, thought is the enemy of flow. Because when you're playing, regardless, even if you're trying to work stuff out, there's this whole thing about letting your body do something, you know. I have a gut feeling it's because you got all those neurons there. What about when your body plays the instrument? I think there's a lot, a lot to be said about mental practicing, but at the same time, it's such a visceral, physical, in the moment thing that when you're actually doing it, your body will just like, like for example, 
you know, you know, I, I, I was talking the other day. In fact, I did an episode with my drum teacher at Berkeley, right? Uh, Gary Chafee, who, who developed this linear system. And so, you know, I was like the guinea pig for it. I was in the ground floor of this stuff. And um, so now it's like, it's, it's, it's just a monster thing. But back then it was all new. And, and, you know, the concept has to do with creating phrases. And so, you know, you can, you could utilize that stuff in order to familiarize yourself with how it works but then you could just let your body do it after you integrate it. For example, you could take stickings like, you know, like four threes and a four, and it could be like something like foot right left or right left foot. Uh, and, and then just by moving it around the drums and changing accents, you'll get completely different patterns. So, so as a result of that, after you let your body take over, then your body will just start getting used to moving around on its own without you thinking about it so that you can create new phrases and new rhythms and new sort of voicings and orchestrate things around the, the kit differently. And it'll, it'll just start doing it to the point where, you know, what you really want to get to is that, you know, my hand went to that sound source cause I heard it instantly. And I just wanted to make that sound versus I have to do a left stroke now. You see what I mean? Right, be, right. Be, or this next section's coming up as a five, and this next right. section's a four, and then, then right. I got to play a four against a three. It, that that, I, that just has never, I, I mean, I guess it's impossible maybe for a drummer to be really thinking that way because well, you, right, cause you just get to a point where if you're thinking about it, you're you're already out of it. Right, I think exactly. And I think that, you know, you know, I mean, to be fair, there's so many, when learning stuff, you, you do it and you carry it over and take it to the gig, and it's like, Man, I worked on this all day and I got it down now. Now's my chance to show. And then you start thinking about it and then you trip over it. You know, and that that's yeah, you gotta you know, that's not the time to think about it. So I mean, like, for example, I was talking about those beats, right? Like, like, let's see if I can get stretch over here, like, like was that what I just showed you. And so all I did was take foot, right, left, 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 foot, foot, and just move my hands around. So by moving my hands around, I'm going to have different, uh, the, the shape is going to change. So, and, so then, and, and then if I add accents, the shape changes again. So let me ask you this. This this is where I've gotten to with the drums because you know traveling around so much is I used to have a little drum pad now I have a big one because I want some you know some yeah. something there you know this is significant. So essentially what I've gotten to is I I this is what evolved in my lifestyle is that okay I have my my pad and you know that and uh, you know I'm humbled by that every day it's and I'm black yeah, practicing yeah, all yeah. Like little patterns and stuff and then I take that over to the kit and then exactly what you just described occurs. Where it's like, oh, listen to that. Oh, oh, okay. You know, left, right, kick, right, left, kick, left, right, kick, right, left, kick. Yes. Kick, kick, right, left, kick, kick, yeah. left, right, or whatever. And it's just like, whoa, it just it becomes magic once you take it from the pad over to the kit. And that's become the thing that I tell everyone to do, you know, because they're asked, they'll ask me like, how, you know, how do you practice? And it's like, well, I take, take it from the pad yeah. to the kit. Is that right. what you would recommend? Is that what you'd say? 
well, you could do that. I mean, that's one way of doing it. I think that that you will get different things by doing that. Um, and and I think that that yeah, I I don't I don't know whether it's the only way, but but it is. You could utilize that. It's a definitely a viable way. For example, you could be playing on a pad and just be um, playing like oh I don't know, come up with some flam uh, possibilities, right? And so you're doing this. It's basically all, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, alternate diddles or whatever. Yeah. And, like- and, and, and then you could just move them around the kit, like, you know, or, or off the cymbals, you know, in a fill. Or, or in a, in a beat, even in a beat, you know. You can move those flams around the drums. See what I mean? You know, and, yeah. and so, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, those things can translate from a pad. I, I recommend it definitely. I'm, I'm, I love it. Sometimes, you know, I'll just play on a pad uh, and I want, you know, I don't even get to the drums. I'll say, what'd you do today? You know, did you play? Oh, I played on a pad. And um, I remember a story. I don't know how true this is, but there's a story that was told to me by people in the industry that, you know, I trust in terms of credibility that, um, and Andy, if you're listening to this, you can tell me one day, I'd probably love to talk to you about this and tell me if it's true or not. The story was that Andy Newmark was auditioning for Sly and the Family Stone. And the story goes that he went, went in and met Sly. So there were no drums there. But there was a practice pad, and Andy said, "Like, what was this? What am I supposed to do here? You know?" And he's like, "Came the sticks and the pad, and and that was his audition." And he looked at him. He's like, "What?" And Sly just said, "If you funky, you funky." You know. So in other words, like if you can't be funky on a pad, I don't care how many drums you have, which is what you said in the beginning. Because when I got my first pro kit, it was one up and one down. And you know what? Yeah, that's enough. I mean, at the end of the day, it's enough. If it you, is. If you can't... You know, where the, you know how fun it is to play the side of the pad or play... You yeah. Know where you, play, you know that little trick where you, you know, you're you you're on the rim of the snare and you're... Yeah. You know, that thing. Yeah. You know, and playing that on a pad is fun. Like trying to get the, you know, that little, that roll, that single hand roll going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I awesome. have a lot of fun with it. That's great, man. You know, when I was a, a student at Berkeley School of Music in Boston, the practice rooms were really, they were like closets. So, you know, with these, you know, and they were on the same floor as the dorm rooms. So waiting to get, get into a practice room, it's 11 o'clock at night, starting to fall asleep. You hear a sax player in there. And as soon as it stopped, you'd run to try to get in there. And so I had to make a choice. Either I was going to take a kick drum, a snare drum, and a hi-hat, or I was going to take a ride cymbal, snare drum, and a hi-hat. So if it was going to be the ride cymbal, then I'm going to practice jazz time because I got no b- bass drum, right? If it was the kick, snare, and hi-hat, I'm going to practice funk, you know, and that kind of stuff. So that's it was just like, well, yeah, you know, make do with what you got, you know? And Right uh, on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a question I've had for you for a while, and I want to yeah. get your take on this is, 
me just grab my sticks right here. Um, you know, I'm when I first got started when I was 18, um, one of the guys, you know, who's lived in my dormitory, he's like, it's not how good you are, it's how good you look when you're playing. Aha. So I got into the stick tricks, right? So all these kids on Instagram doing all their little stick tricks and everything. Yeah. That's a big thing for, I love doing that with my playing and just all of that. And do you do stick tricks? I mean, cause I've seen you do, you know, little things like that, like really, really fast. So like, okay, he's got it somewhere. Is that a thing for you? Well, you know what? It's, it's not actually, I mean, when, when I was, you know, marching, we used to do back sticking from in, in drum corps kind of stuff and, yep. and, and, and very rudimentary, uh, uh, stick twirls, but, but, but it was nothing that I, that I ever, that I ever took to. And I just think that, you know, if people want to do it great, man, you know, it was just never my thing because my whole thing when coming up was the content of what somebody played and, you know, and, and that's really because I was sort of like watching the jazz drummers and the fusion drummers. It's like, I'm talking about people like Elvin Jones, Jack DeJanette, Tony Williams, you know, and it was really about how they're interacting with the music and the and the depth of what they're playing and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, even cross-sticking, I would be like, well, wait a minute, there's got to be a different way to do this. Yeah, I, I just, I was, ne I was always just that kind of person. And we're all different, you know, whereby my thing was I wanted to be heard more than I was seen. And, and that's partly why I became a, a, a studio musician. I just, I just wanted to record and just play music. And, you know, I was always kind of a heady guy and, you know, into that. What's your, what's your sign? Aquarius. Oh yeah, I knew it. Yeah. I should have guessed it <laughs> because we're opposites in that way. I'm a Leo, right? So this, you know, this oh, yeah. is my month. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Leo. So basically I i'm the guy who wants to be seen because i'm the, you know i'm the i'm the guy in the back who's doing this kind of stuff or i'm playing just a yeah. beat and i'm doing you know one hand this thing and all that stuff and it was never it was always more about that because it's a show you're there to put on right. a show that was always my kind of thinking sure, sure. And, and then you're an aquarius so you're on the inside like okay let's see how this is going to sound how's this going to move around the music exactly that's so interesting fascinating yeah, yeah. And, and and another uh a good friend of mine who's a great, great drummer of, of, for years uh, is a Leo, and and I've noticed that he also does the he's he focuses more on the visual, you know, the visual stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. like what what whatever whatever you are is what you are, you know. So, uh, but then okay, so you're a Leo, very good, and you know, Leos and Aquarians, we 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 get along, man. Like a you know it's house on fire, two peas in a pod, man. Yeah, that's, man. That's yeah, two peas in a pod. So, um, okay. So, do you do you incorporate any of the things like, you know, meditation or deep breathing? I mean, some people are now saying there's a new thing where I've been hearing like you shouldn't be overstretching before you play, you know. And and that was like a thing that people were doing for years. Now there's a kind of a pushback about no, that's not a good idea. Don't do it too much. And um, you know, so I don't really know what the protocol is anymore. But I do think that. Things like um, some stretching or, or definitely deep breathing to center yourself maybe before you play is probably a good thing. Does any of that ever kind of come into your regimen? Definitely all that comes into my regimen for sure. I, I find that if, if let, let's say I'm playing like a long show, like two hours, sometimes we play two hours straight or even three hours straight just yeah. for, you know, I'm just having so much fun. <laughs> and I, so then I really have to get into that. 
breathe, breathe deep, yeah. you know, because, you know, I have to do that or else I'm going to get worn out or tired or something. So I, I will in the middle of a show, just just in the middle of playing beats and stuff, do that. I'll start doing real deep breaths. Before a show, I like to loosen my hips up. I think the for me, I've gotten my upper body loose enough now where that's not really the issue. Although, you know, sometimes really fast right hand stuff sometimes irritates my back. Um, but generally, the main thing I'll do for stretching is is like a waterfall pose. So I'll basically stand up and then, you know, to really lean over and touch my toes with my knees slightly bent and then work through all the release all the way down my spine. You mm -hmm. know, it's the in yoga, they call that waterfall pose mm -hmm. and then do deep breathing and try to get my spine to elongate. Um, my my research in the health world has always indicated that any kind of spinal problem is always due to compression. Mm -hmm. Even if you have torsion where, you know, the spine is like this, mm -hmm. ultimately decompression will straighten it out. Mm -hmm. So if you have compression, then you want that stretched out. So if I, you know, get, get like this and I bend over and I'm doing this, that's within five or 10 minutes, I'm ready to, to play because through that I can open up my neck. I can get all my back open. I get my hips open. And that's another issue too, is depending on how the kick is and how the setup is some, and especially the bass drum. Now I used to play, you know, like, this bass drum here, you can see, is just a little tiny thing. Yeah, it's a, this is a little Gretsch Catalina Club. Um, Great kit. We grew up we, with those, you know, the bottom kits with big bass drum. We're pushing all that air. Yeah. And after a while, I started going. You know, it's not in balance because I'm not a double bass drum player. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a I'm a hi hat player, and I want to play paradiddles with the bass drum and the hi hat underneath stuff and that kind of a thing. And so I had just I just found that. I really have to be careful with my hips depending on the kit because if it's a big bass drum and I push all that air, eventually my right side get, gets out of whack. My right hip gets out of whack. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No matter, yeah, but it's just a balance issue, inherent balance with you know, your right foot's on that thing and you're just trying to womp the hell out of this big thing. And uh, it, you, you're probably going to have to compensate by maybe less pedal tension or something anything to sort of but but then again you know that the drum is saying look i'm really big you need to hit yeah. me harder it's you, still you're <laughs> still pushing all that air even with all the little i mean oh again over the years i just went back i'm like let me get i don't want the big bottom drum i don't want something small and <laughs> yeah, i yeah. want to be able to, and i want a really good like you know these sound like that so beautiful i love the sound of this so i want more of that sound in my playing so I, I'm using that left foot, and I find that just it, it brings balance. Now, another thing that over the years that I've, I've got into is open playing. So, you know, I play more of that Steve Smith open style. Yeah. Just yeah. because it feels right to me. Plus, I'm more like I play basketball left-handed. I play baseball right-handed. Um, I play soccer left-footed. Um, I play football right you know, I throw a football with my right hand. Oh, wait a second. got to stop you there. You do that, but is, is this intentionally? In order to develop ambidexterity? No, it's just how I've always been. Like really? I've always been, I can't play basketball right hand. It has to be left-handed. Wow. It's just one of those things. I've always been a stronger kicker with my left foot. So when I played soccer, I it was a, I was a left foot kicker. Okay, so so I've always considered myself to be right-handed because you know I write with my right hand, I pick up a fork with my right hand, yada yada yada. And so a friend of mine once said, uh, "Clap your hands." He wanted to see me do it, so I clapped my hands, and he saw noticed that my left hand was on top of my right. He goes, "You're a lefty." I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" You know. He goes, "No, you're naturally a left-hander. 
even though you you favor your right. And he said, that's why you start your fills the way that you do with sometimes you'll start with the left-hand lead. And I went, you figured me out, didn't you? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's like, or, or sometimes I'll, I'll do these things where, where, you know, I would insert the left foot, especially if it's double bass or something where it would normally be a right foot. And, and, you know, he, he kind of, when he said that, a light bulb went off and I said, there's got to be something to this about being a natural left-hander, but not, but not a functional left-hander. You know what I mean? It sounds like, like a paradox or a dichotomy, but maybe it is, but, but it is what it is. And I found that to be interesting. So when you said that, I'm thinking, wow, you know, you must be naturally ambidextrous or something, you know? It's just, it's just what comes naturally to me. I do write with both hands. Um, I, I generally like using the computer with my left hand. So typically if I'm doing something, you know, let's say I'm working with my computer and play the drums, I'll be using my left hand on the computer. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that over the years that I've noticed and it just with the drums, this crossing over this, this business has never really, it just, I really just feel like the open style feels more natural for me and feels more comfortable. I don't know. Do you play an open style ever? I, I can do it, yeah. I mean, I was just—I was one of those people who I could just sit when I was little. I think that's why I gravitated to the drums. I could just sit down and play them. I didn't, you know. Well, what does this foot do? And you know, I could just play. And so, so I—I I tried it, and you know, the open hand. And yeah, I can do it, just because for some reason, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm just wired that way, I guess, you know. But, but yeah, it, whatever feels right to you. I don't. I don't think there's just any one right or wrong way. I mean, there are just principles, principles yes. and yeah, of physics and ergonomics that are generally applicable to all of us, you know, regardless of our, our body style. Like we're not going to hold the, the drumstick, you know, a two thirds of the way toward the top of the stick. I don't care how long your arms are or how short your arms are. It just doesn't work that leverage doesn't work that way, you know, physics don't work that way so so i think that you know whatever however you get it out uh, yeah you know without hurting way. yourself and you know what i mean it's yeah 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 exactly so uh, no it, I, you know because of drum core kind of stuff and i love drum core kind of stuff even though i didn't play drum core when i was a kid i mm-hmm. do love it now and it's mm-hmm. mostly from the instagram kids and we connect i connect with a whole group you know i'm in my 50s but i'm connecting with kids who are like 18 19 20 21 22 on the internet and we do a lot of stuff together just you know in terms of stick tricks and drum cord kind of stuff it's really cool man it really is i might drag you into some of that stuff at some point just just you know because they don't know who you are they have no idea these are just like young drummers who who love the stick tricks and they love the dynamics of just playing a snare for example and playing high bpms and all that kind of stuff and you know over because of that i like the big fat sticks when i'm playing that kind of stuff now when i get onto a kid i'll go to a smaller stick like you know these are 5B um, headhunters. So these are maple, very light sticks. Yeah. And they're a little, almost too light for me. What do you, what do you prefer? What's your, what's your style of stick? Mine is, I, you know, I just uh, recently released my signature stick with Vader drumsticks and it's. Oh, my, I love them. Yeah. I love. Oh, so, oh, you don't, it, let me say, it doesn't have a tip, huh? Is it both it, sides it, is flat? No, no, it does. It has a tip and it it's does. basically, it's sort of, it's one sixteenth of an inch shorter than a 5b but it's basically sort of a modified 5b so i've always been kind of like a 5b person 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. and um, and these have a really, really good taper on them. It has good rebound. I wanted it to have good rebound without being weight dependent. In other words, some sticks are kind of like, well, they have to be in a certain weight range. If they're too light, they feel crappy, or if they're too heavy. These I wanted to be able to work in, in any weight range. So, you know, if it weren't for that, I would say, yeah, 5B, you know, classic okay. 5B. Okay, cool. Interesting. When I, I remember when I first went to L.A., uh, I was playing with three S, which are drum core sticks, butt ends on a drum set. And it was crazy. And <laughs> we were playing at the baked potato one night and we got fired for playing too loud. I think we were the only band that ever got fired from playing too loud because the people in the Hollywood Hills were complaining they could hear us. <laughs> I mean, Hilarious. Was, yeah. And uh, yeah, I was kind of nuts. So you're, you are a raw food advocate, right? Yes. Yes. So how do you, what do you think about the idea that we're supposed to be omnivores? And is that something that you think is, is kind of a myth that really just from cooking food, we sort of adulterated it and we shouldn't be doing that or where our bodies aren't made for it. Or could you elaborate on what, what that means? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because this is one of the most incredible philosophical questions of our era. Actually, what this whole era of like, should we be like, no animal nature's cooking their food. Should we eat the food raw? What should we eat raw fish? Should we eat, you know, raw cheese? Should we, you know, what about raw fruits and vegetables? Like it's a big, it's a big story. And so I investigated that with all my heart and all my soul and lived it all these years. And you know, the human being is, this is, you know, eventually as a reader and I'm a big reader, it's one of the things that that I I love about um, music is I can read up on the music and it helps me to understand the concepts. I'm more of a reader, I think, than even a visual learner. I'm I, like I I like reading it, and then I'm also very kinesthetic. If like I'm sitting next to you and you show me, okay, it's this. I'll go, oh, it's this. Okay, I got it. It's that kind of a thing for me. Anyway, one of the things that uh, that I eventually ran into is Rudolf Steiner, who is probably the most incredible single philosopher in history. And I don't say that lightly. I've read thousands of books. I have a degree in philosophy. It's, you know, it's incredible. This guy put together a million pages of material in his lifetime. That's 60 pages, 50 to 60 pages every single day, every day from age 15 to 65, Monday through Sunday. Think of how crazy that is. That's an almost unbelievable concept that that could even happen. And let yeah. alone his five or 6,000 lectures that he gave and all the other stuff. What was the information he had? Well, he, he's basically saying that the human being is so far in the spirit world that we actually have trouble really digesting the food that's here naturally, hence the cooking. The cooking has been as a result of essentially we're too kind of spiritualized as a being that we don't develop that agni or that fire that, say, a ruminant animal would have or a carnivore would have to really break things down and and. We vary. There's a, there's a sliding scale. Or some people have a little bit stronger of that agni or that digestive fire. Some people it's a little bit weaker, and we have to take that into account as a human being. Now we're so far into the materialism and materialist mindset of our civilization and this moment in history. But eventually, a few thousand years in the future, we will kind of regain our our position as being in the rightful place, as being really spiritual beings having a human experience, and that. We aren't like we're not an animal. You know, this whole thing that we evolved from apes. Sorry, I don't buy it. I don't buy any of that stuff. 
were not that. And I don't know what the real story is, but I know it's not that. <laughs> and 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 so and because the human being is just so we're a world unto ourselves. You, know, you can take the whole animal world and look at it. You take the whole human world and look at it. It's a world unto ourselves. You know, that's how special human beings are. Again, this anti-human element is trying to drive humans out from being a spiritual being and trying to drive us into the animal world yeah. is very it's very disturbing to what it does to the human consciousness. We've all been disturbed by it. I've personally been disturbed by it growing up with those kind of concepts and then eventually realizing it's not this, it's something else. Mm -hmm. Anyway, food plays into that. So one of the things we can say about food is the less we eat of it, the better we're going to feel and the healthier we will be as we age. No question about that. That's just the way it is. So I, because I know that I'm a human being, I'm going to fall into certain traps. I kind of religiously fast four or five times a year on water for a week or longer. And I've done that for years. And that really helps me to stay straight and stay sane because if I can stay on that track, then I, it pushes away all, all disturbing habits, all things that are not good for me, all stuff, you know, food I shouldn't be eating. And it keeps me just straight on the straight and narrow, healthy path. So that's one thing. Two is that we don't really want to be eating raw meat because there's a lot of parasites in, for example, raw fish. And I could go on a whole spiel about that. So I really recommend and strongly recommend at least once a year, everybody does a good parasite cleansing using the herbs that drive the parasites out the same way, you know, mother nature has created these things for us in order to keep us sovereign because mm -hmm. we don't want other little critters in there going, Hey, you know, I really want all that protein over there or I want that sugar when it's really not us. It's, it's other things. So that's a big part of my lifestyle is, yeah. is the fasting and the cleansing. And we're doing one coming up here, which by the way, I'll get you in there. If you want to join us, it's, I've worked this out over 30 years. It's two weeks of preparation. So we do a week of one meal a day that we bring the calories down through that week and we do just one solid meal a day you can drink you can have drinks you can do soup you can do liquids um you can have tea i just had a nice tea here mm -hmm. and then you bring but you got to bring those calories down through that week the second week we go to all liquid soups blended stuff smoothies or juices but you got to bring your calories down through that second week and then if you want to you can go you know what i'm going to go another week on the juices and and uh, liquids again low calorie so we mostly juices um but if you want to join me on the third week, uh, because you've prepped for two weeks, then we're ready to try the water fasting. And you, we just try one day. You know, if you're new to it, just try one day. Let's see how it happens in two days and maybe three days. Now, I've gotten to a point because I've been doing this for so many years that I can do my normal life while while water fasting. Same physical output, same everything. And, and that's because of just, you know, it's a muscle that you're working on, right? So I've uh. worked on that muscle for a lot of years. And so I've become pretty good at it. It is also an amazing time to get at the drum set and to get at things that I'm working on certain particular innovations or I want to learn something mm -hmm. because I have more time because less time is spent on food. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. So when, when you reintroduce the food back, then you're doing it very sort of slowly, very slowly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't tell people yeah. this up front, but if you, let's say we do the two weeks prep and then we get into the one week water fast, which mm -hmm. you, you could probably do it, Vinny. I mean, I know you're mm -hmm. thinking, John, I don't know, but and you'd be surprised if you prep yourself and you just kind of go through the state. We, we just tell people, just follow the system. Don't think mm -hmm. about it. Just follow the system every day. And we're there in a Telegram chat group every day talking to each other. Yeah. And yeah. then as soon as you get to that day, you're like, I think I can do this. You get through the day and yeah. you're like, I think I got another day in me. And next thing you know, like mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine that is 50, mid 50s. And he's like, he's never done a single day of water fasting. Yeah. He made it four and a half days. 
Wow. And he was like, bro, it was pretty easy. And I was like, see? And he was all in his mind. Like, I can't do this. You know, it's just the mm -hmm. system works yeah. if you just get out of the way. Mm. Now, the third, the fourth week is the week that you try to work your way back mm -hmm. and you work your way back the way you came in. You gradually go back to juices. You gradually go back to solid food, the solid food being fruit. I really like grapes and melons at the end of a fast. And my God, the flavor. Whoa. Flavor town. And then, um, and then after like a month, then you're kind of back to normal and you're, you know, you're, you're back into what mm -hmm. you're doing. And, and if you, you can do that once a year, I do it four times a year, but if you can do it once a year, then you're doing real good for yourself. And you're also building up this incredible self-esteem where you're like, I did that. I, right. Damn. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing, man. I mean, it, this is, this is crazy. It's like, there's so much, there's so much here. And um, it's interesting that you were talking about, you know, the whole thing of, oh, you know, uh, coming from apes, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, you know, if, if, if anybody thinks that we were brought here by some sovereign transcendent, you know, uh, entity or spirit or isness, uh, it's, you know, usually like, oh, here we go with the religion. But I find it interesting how some people will say, Oh, but but I cannot. I could accept the idea that we were seeded by some advanced intelligence. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's like what's yeah. the difference? What's yeah? You know, you know, it's kind of it makes me. It's, I crack up over that. You know, Ben, we are a spiritual having a human experience. <laughs> but but and and the other thing that you talked talked about was the parasites. I mean, I think that a lot of people overlooked that. And just correct me if I'm wrong. This is a question here. Is that something that you could find out about through dark field micros microscopy? Absolutely. Yeah. There's some great dark field microscopists out there. Yeah. And yes, you can look at the blood and go, oh, look mm -hmm. at all these little critters in there. Now, generally, yeah. my feeling about parasites is, is that it's a pretty major problem. It's not just like, oh, it's over the border. It's in Mexico or mm -hmm. it's over mm -hmm. in Thailand somewhere. Yeah. No, that's silly. That's so silly. Um, for example, like, you know, sugar cravings. A lot of times that's candida. Candida is a parasite. It's a yeast parasite. And that little yeast parasite is able to influence people's consciousness to get that sugar. So that means it's controlling our minds, right? That's mm -hmm. what that means. And so this is what Robert Sapolsky over at Stanford found out is he started investigating parasites. The series of synchronicities brought him to it. After a while, he started going, oh, my God, this is a big deal because he started questioning if there's really free will happening out there. Oh, it's that big of a deal. Okay, yeah. You know, so, wow. you know, when I look at when I look into the world, right. you know, I, especially politics, I'm like, these people are loaded with toxins and loaded yeah. with parasites. Mm -hmm. They've, one thing that is beautiful about raw food is it's fresh, it's bright, it's alive, you know, fruits and vegetables. And so it starts to uh, uh, wash out like waves shaping the beach. And it takes thousands of waves to shape the beach just to wash out those that soot that's in our energy field that disturbs us you know that yeah. ages us and it you know that and slows our reflexes down and i will say this for sure my reflexes are faster now than they've ever been which is crazy that i'm in my 50s and my my reflexes are faster now part of it's because we're you know we're drummers so we have fast reflexes and we work on that yeah but the other part of it is is i've, I've been driving out the soot Remember, it's soot that builds up on our system yeah. that eventually it's metabolic waste mm -hmm. and environmental toxins that get into us and eventually it grinds us to a halt. And so we've got to work on getting that stuff out. And that's why I do the cleansing. Okay. Amazing. And so so in terms of the parasite stuff, 
you you actually have um, things in your shop that that people can buy that will help eliminate parasites. It's, uh, I'm sure it probably goes along with a regimen, but but I but I noticed because I actually looked. And by the way, that's uh, davidwolf.com. David Thanks for that. W O L F E dot com. Yeah, and and it's amazing because there's so much great information here, David. I mean, just you talk about squashing your sugar cravings with uh, paleo almond date cookies, and and I remember seeing something that you talked about date sugar, date syrup, which I didn't even know anything about, and I also like the thing where you had this anti-everything flu bomb syrup. That was really cool. I'm going to make that. Mim and I, I'm right going to, on. I'm going yeah. to tell, tell Mim, my wife Mim says hi, by the way, and I'm going to uh, you know, say, hey, man, you know, we're going to do this. You know? But there's, there's a lot of great stuff. And um, man, oh, man, and, and the things that are in the shop, schedule about your rejuvenation co uh, conference and just general oh, great, great health uh, Okay, stuff. so I got a little announcement to make for you, yeah. you know, and I want to talk about this. We've got a rejuvenation conference coming up in March of 2024 in Laguna Beach. Oh, great. I'm giving you a ticket. You and your wife, you you got a ticket. Um, you guys come on down because I want you to meet my cousin. You know, he I, I basically raised him on live foods and raised him on, you know, with juicing and everything else his whole life. And he's like, he, he, just him and I doing the conference together. He's literally one of the healthiest people you will ever see and good looking. I mean, he's, he's one of those people that like girls look at him and go, oh, my God. I mean, they, it's hilarious. It's really fun. Um, so Great, he's doing the event with us and you'll love meeting him. There'll be a lot of interesting people there. So I'm, that's March 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 2024. Mark your calendar. I, I got some tickets for you guys. Free. Oh, great. We'd love it. Love it. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're on. Thank you, David. That's awesome. So for all you listening out there, Hey, you know, if you're into SoCal area or if you don't mind traveling, it come to this one. It's, yeah. there's only going to be, you'll we're see only me there. Have like 300 tickets available. You know, that mm. it's just, it, and it right. do, because my cousin lives in Laguna, it's right down the street from his house. The people who are allowing us to use their facility, it's a five-star facility. Wow. You can't get a like people like me, like I'm not in some, you know, I'm not running like Microsoft or some kind yeah. of big corporation. Yeah. I can't even get a space like that based on the income that I have, but they're giving it to us essentially for, I mean, they, you know, they're making us pay some money, but it's a, it's the, I'm, I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah. So I'm like, deal. We signed the deal. Oh. So it's an incredible venue. It's one of those where I'm like, this is the best venue I've ever done an event in. And I've done thousands of events. Oh, this is exciting. A level. Yeah. Wow. I'm, now I'm excited, man. I'm going to be caught in the days. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, this yeah, is great, and, dude. And everyone's yeah. welcome. And it's it's all levels too, by the way. And it's oh, it? really fun. Great. It's really fun. Great. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it's going to be big fun. Well, I mean, hopefully as much fun as this conversation has been for, for me, David. I can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show and um and and you know, long live the drums. You know? <laughs> yeah, long live the drums. <laughs> Hallelujah, yeah. brother. Yes, Hallelujah. Absolutely. And, and you know, just a, just a shout out to you for being such an incredible inspiration over all the years. And, you know, just watching you in those original, you know, when you first showed up on when the first video started showing up on the Internet. Right. And seeing you in those videos, <laughs> man, it was hugely inspirational because oh. you are, you know, you are traditional grip. And it, it was just 
awesome to see that. You know what I mean? Like for me, I was like, oh, this is incredible. Look at this. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, love I'm one it. of the, thank you so much. I'm one of the the last of the Mohican proponents of that. So, <laughs> but, but right on. Thank you, David Wolf. And um, right on. So everybody, I hope you got that information. I'll, you'll see it um, uh, when I list it on, on, um, on, the, on the written part of this. And, yeah, and uh, I'll, you can find me on Instagram too. That's a good place to find me. Um, yeah. David Avocado Wolf on Instagram. Great. W-O-L-F-E. And uh, also every now and then I get together with some drummers on Instagram. We do some fun stuff. So stay tuned for that. Again, oh, for they're sure. young kids. It's really cool. And I'm going to bring them, bring you up to them. So okay. I want it to be interesting to hear their feedback. It's going to be yeah. fascinating. Oh, please do. All right. Great. Thanks, David. And uh, everybody, thank you all for listening. Please stay tuned for the next episode of Breakfast with Vinny. 